So I, I can't get I, I have I have Master of the House stuck in my head. Why? Why? Because yeah. I'm just thinking like, like m- Master m- of the House. No, like Master of the Vault, Keeper <laughs> of the Gems. <laughs> Gonna do some science on some pretty rocks. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Welcome to the American Geophysical Union's podcast about the scientists and the methods behind the science. These are the stories you won't read in the manuscript or hear in a lecture. I'm Shane Hanlon. And I'm Nancy Bompy. And I'm Lauren LaPuma. Oh, hi, Lauren. And this is Third Pod from the Sun. This is part two of a two-part interview uh, that Lauren did. Right. This is part two of our interview with Jeff Post, who is the curator of the Gem and Mineral Hall at the Smithsonian's Natural Museum of Natural... Wait, Museum of Natural History. Museum of Natural History. National, sorry, National Museum of Natural History here here in D.C. All right. Yes, that was always a mouthful. If you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to it. It's right before this one. Uh, but this one we're going to be talking about uh, going through the vault. Uh, have right. you ever? Have I guess you have, Lauren? But Nancy, have you ever been inside of any sort of a vault before? Um, like a bank vault, maybe. A bank, like a bank vault. I don't know of the bank. I was in a place the other day that the oh. bank vault door was in the bathroom because the place yeah, used to be an old yeah, bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, I've been in there. I think there was a bar like in New York where like you of like there was. Oh, they yes. turned it into a bar and like you sat in the vault. Yeah, that's well, really cool. Have someone who's done it, yes. Lauren. What's it like to walk through a vault? It's great. So you know, after we talked to Jeff about you know his work as a curator, he we were so lucky. He took us back into the vault where they this is where they keep all the specimens from the gem and mineral collection that are valuable but they're not currently on display and so things get rotated out a lot Mm -hmm. from the vault area and on display on exhibit Um, but there's actually two parts to this vault first when you walk in there's like a big room and this is where they keep mm, about 20,000 or so specimens it's like the waiting room area for the vault and you walk in and there's just big glass cabinets lining the walls and um, a big work table in the middle and there's just the most beautiful rocks and crystals you have ever seen in your life in this room it's amazing it's quiet oh. it's very serene now, now i'm disappointed i was gone when you did this i know I I wait that's very... not the main vault part. well there's two parts of the vault that is the main vault but there's a smaller vault within that vault and that's where they keep the gems all the do you have a lock on the vault yeah <laughs> uh, of course <laughs> There's like many layers of security. <laughs> oh, and then I, we have a yeah. side stitch. <laughs> How big is that vault? So let's see. That vault is probably the sm- the gem vault is probably I would say about the size of two elevators. Oh, oh pretty small. It's small. It's a small oh. room. Yeah, it was a very tight fit. There were four of us inside there, mm-hmm. and it was a tight fit. But the main vault is big. It's it's hard to it's hard to give the size of a, a room. I'm not good at like square footage, but probably the size of a classroom. I would say a small. Okay, classroom. So it's like a regular room, but the right. other one's like legit vault. It's a vault. Yes. Legit. Vault. There's lots of doors and and keypads and things like that. Okay, so this is our vault area. This is our high security storage area for the mineral collection. And back around the corner is where the gem vault is. And so this is a space that four of us have access to. You can see there's cameras here, everything. It's, you know, it's a high security area. And we've pulled from our mineral collection about 20,000 specimens that are considered to be higher value, more special, um, more fragile, you know, just needing extra security, extra care. It's also our main work area. Um, you know, this table area is where, as new things come into the collection, we typically will unpack them here. They can sit here for a while while we go through the accession process. Because it's very limited access, 
We don't have to worry about people coming in and messing with them, picking them up, you know, mm -hmm. things they shouldn't be doing. Because again, a lot of these are valuable, a lot of these are fragile. The, most of the specimens in here are in the drawers, but the bigger specimens that don't fit into the drawers are in these cabinets. And they give you kind of an idea of the sorts of minerals that are here in this room. So we try to keep our very best specimens on exhibit for the public to see. Um, but what's back here might be second best or equal to what's out there or new things that are coming into the collection. But part of our mission here also is preserving some of Earth's great treasures. Mm -hmm. And when you look at these crystals, the colors, the forms, I mean, the reason they're back here is because they have a high market value. There are collectors around the world that will pay large chunks of money to own specimens like these. Each one's one of a kind. It formed naturally in the earth. And in many cases, their forms, their colors are such, they're just beautiful things. So you've got people who are buying these like art. You know, instead of buying paintings or sculptures, they're buying beautiful mineral specimens and they're displaying them in their homes. They, you know, it's interesting when they talk about it, they're using the same kind of terminology. It's the same kind of, you know, financial thinking as with artwork only applied to minerals. And many of the people may not know much about the science behind it, but they just know they're beautiful things. And we don't get a lot of people in this room because this is a high security area, but most people when they see these for the first time, they're kind of going, oh my gosh, these things came out of the earth like this. You're going, whoa. And that's the same reaction that our visitors have when they see them out in the exhibit hall. You know, we've got millions of people a year coming through our galleries, and we're figuring at the end of that, if any small percentage of them, because of this experience with the minerals, are going home and going, wow, I want to either study these things, or at least I'm open to learning more about them, or the next time I see an article about geology or about minerals or about global change, whatever it is, I'm going to read it because suddenly this earth is a whole more interesting place than it used to be. So Lauren, before you actually like did the interview, what were you envisioning that you would see? Like what were you most looking no, forward to? I was really envisioning kind of like a bank vault, I guess. Not that I've ever seen a bank vault, <laughs> but something like very sterile and white and metal. Oh, okay. But it wasn't like that at all. Oh, it was like, um, like Mission Impossible. Yes, oh, that yeah. is exactly what I was picturing, but it wasn't at the all. It was like, right, it was very warm with these like beautiful like wood cabinets and, oh. and there's like this green carpet everywhere. That I wouldn't expect either, It was right. really great. Oh, yeah. And I, yeah, and I also should mention I was there with our colleagues, Katie Brendel and our former intern, Abigail. So you'll hear their voices on this interview as well. But he showed us some like, really valuable things he showed us diamonds and gold and other like really precious metals and things you didn't walk away with any of them nope nope <laughs> here I'll just a couple things that are kind of fun here this is one that I think is kind of neat okay so here let's go over the table so feel this put that up your cheek it's very soft and feels what? Warm, cold? Cold. Cold, very cold, cold right? Yeah. yeah. Here. Okay, that is 266 carats of diamond. What? It's probably, what? The, probably the oh biggest my. chunk of diamond you'll Wait. ever. Yeah, it's probably the biggest chunk of diamond you'll ever hold in your hand. Wait. So it's a cluster of diamond crystals from the Congo. So, wow. in addition to being the hardest known material, diamond is also the best known conductor of heat. And so it feels cold because when you pick it up, it's sucking heat away from your hand so fast. Wow. That your hand feels cold. Oh. But of course, it also means that you know it's sucking heat away, it warms up real quickly. So you guys, all your heat is now in this diamond that's kind of warmed up again. Yeah. But if you look at, hold it up to light, you'll see, you know, it's actually got some pretty clear areas in there. They could probably have cut stones out of this. Mm -hmm. But because it's such a 
big cluster of crystals and so unusual, it's worth way more to a collector this way than it would be for any gemstones that could come hmm. out of it. And it's just a really intriguing chunk of diamond, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. And you'll always talk about diamond having a greasy luster. And when you see a big piece like this, you can see it really does have this sort of a greasy look to mm -hmm. it, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Like slick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah. you know, it just feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> wow. You know, what else? I mean, you know, one carat diamond, you can't do that, right? You know, there's, there's a chunk of it. Yeah. So. Wow, that yeah. is so cool. Yeah, that so yeah, it's, you know, again, you never know what you're going to find, right? It's just, and then here, this is just, this you'll recognize. This is one we have because we often have school groups we'll go talk to. But here, so what do you think? What is that? Gold. Gold. There you go. <gasps> now pick it up. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, every time. Oh, yeah, it's way heavier. I mean, even though oh, I yeah, know gold is dense, right? You know yeah, it is. Yeah. Every time I pick it up, it still surprises me because yeah. we're just not used to holding yeah, something that, that size that's that heavy. And that's a nugget from Australia, about 12 ounces. And it was found by a fellow with a metal detector. And we bought it way back when gold was much lower priced than it is now. But we thought, what a great educational specimen because you know, it's the kind of thing you can let a bunch of school kids pass around. Mm -hmm. They can't hurt it. I mean, this is a big solid nugget. Yeah. So, you know, as long as they don't whack each other with it or something, you know, it's, it's nothing bad can happen. <laughs> but most people, most people have never had a chance to pull up big nuggets. So we yeah, thought right. for a bunch of, you know, for an educational piece, what a great thing. Plus, we didn't have a good nugget from Australia. So it actually filled a piece in our collection, too. Actually, here's something else that's kind of interesting. Um, okay, so gold is very dense, right? So a piece of gold is very heavy. Okay, do you know what the densest metal is? The densest known metal? Platinum. I want to say like lead or mercury. Close to platinum. No. It's actually the same group. It's it's osmium. Osmium. So this is an osmium hmm. nugget. Osmium is also one of the rarest metals in the earth. This is an osmium nugget from Australia. It has a little bit of iridium in it, but mostly osmium. And so this is the densest known metal even more so than gold. So feel how this feels, this little nugget, how heavy that feels. Whoa, yeah. Isn't that something? Mm -hmm. I know your oh brain, my goodness. Your brain's oh. going, that's just a little thing. It's like and a pebble. Then, yeah. yeah. And then you're going, whoa, where did that come from? Wow. One of the, the real privileges of working here is that you know, I spend a big part of my day sitting in front of my computer like all of us do, right? You know, I've got all the same administrative things that we all have to do. And, you know, it's just part of being in a big organization, part of, you know, working for a living these days email, you know, forever. But whenever I just sort of can't take that part of the job anymore, I can stand up and walk down the hall. It takes me about two or three minutes to get here. I can open this room, walk in here, close the door, and you just look at these specimens. And almost every time I'll focus on something or just something will, you know, will jump out at me. And it's a specimen, yeah, maybe I've seen it before, but not for a long time. I haven't really focused on it. And suddenly, like, that's the most beautiful thing I've seen. And you just look at it and go, wow, that's just an amazing thing. And then, you know, after you've done that for about five minutes, you can walk back to your desk and sit down and keep working on your computer, reading your emails. All right, so that's that's vault number one. Vault number one. It's literally behind door number one. The minerals. The minerals. Right.
were minerals cool? They are. I mean, they're if well, you haven't been to the exhibit yet, but when you go, it's just like you know, seeing those big things that they that they display with like these huge giant crystals that grow and these like. I mean, know. I guess I've seen it though at other venues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just because it's not like polished and like pristine. Right. Yeah, they're so not appreciate, like natural beauty. No, no, I know, I know. Like when they cut open the rock and there's like it's like. Yes, like have you seen it like an amethyst? Yeah, things yeah, like yeah. That. yeah. But things that's like that's what it looks like. What was that? I guess that's good Did for that an audio that? medium, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so then after that, we walked through there. We Jeff took us to the gem vault, which is like this small room, like I said, and that's where they keep the actual cut gemstones and also a lot of jewelry, famous jewelry that has been donated to the collection over time. So is a gem just a cut? Stone? Yes, a gem is just a mineral that has been cut and polished to be displayed. Did you know that? I'm going to say no. Yeah, I was gonna say yes. Like I probably would have figured yes. that out, but let's just say no. But this, this, the gem vault was amazing, and so you'll hear Jeff describe to us some of the items they have in there. But there are just like drawers and drawers of sapphires and rubies. Some just by themselves. Some in, some been set into jewelry. It was amazing. So this is where we keep the more valuable. The, the gems, the jewelry pieces that are not on exhibit. Can we try to keep our most important or best pieces out of the exhibit for the public to see? But we have a collection that is large enough that we can use it for a lot of different things. And so this is our gem reference collection. For oh, example. wow. Oh, my so, gosh. So most, almost all of our gems have come in as donations over the years. Obviously, any mineral crystal found in the earth could potentially be faceted, be cut into a gemstone. Mm-hmm. So a gem is simply a mineral crystal that a cutter has polished and shaped and polished and typically then might get set into a piece of jewelry. So part of what makes gems, I think, sort of fascinating to people is they really bridge this natural history and sort of cultural aspect of, mm-hmm. you know, gem materials. Mm-hmm. So you've got something, you know, a crystal that formed in, in nature. There's a whole science story there, but then now cut by a skilled craftsperson and now by some creative artist put into a piece of jewelry and they may be owned by somebody who's interesting. And, you know, the great thing about gems is they don't wear out, they don't change, they aren't mm-hmm. diminished with time. And so, you know, they can get passed on from person to person. So they can develop a history, you know. Mm-hmm. There's associations of people that go. So the story that goes with a gem becomes, in many cases, as much a part of the value as the gem itself. People want a diamond that was owned by King so-and-so or Queen so-and-so or if Lady Di wore it, you know, or something. Mm -hmm. Those become part of the value, part of the story of the gem. And so our collection is really not just a collection of gems. It's a collection of the gems and stories of the people who gave them. And because our collection, you know, goes back now, you know, well over 100 years, We've accumulated materials from a lot of different craftspeople made over different time periods. Are these older pieces of jewelry? Those are some, you know, those are donated to us. Um, oh, wow. So these probably go back to the late 1800s, mm-hmm. maybe early 1900s. Hmm. That is so neat. Yeah. And more emeralds. Oh, wow. So we, you know, not only do we have different jewelry pieces, but emeralds from different localities. Like for example, this is something we acquired recently. There's a fairly new find of emeralds in the last few years in Ethiopia. Oh. And so this is a nice stone that we got from there. 
because you never know how long these places are going to produce till they become important or not. But now we have a good example from that locality, and it's one that actually could be exhibited, but also could be used for research. We come from Madagascar, again, a new locality. You know, this is another one from Madagascar, North Carolina. So we have emeralds from a lot of different localities, and that is part of what makes them useful for research. There's Russia. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's pretty interesting. These are corundum, so sapphires and rubies. So just like beryl, so corundum is the mineral name. If they're blue or other colors, they're called sapphires. If they're red, they're oh. called ruby. Wait, so, really? I didn't yeah. realize that it was just sapphires or ruby. Yeah, yeah so, they're the same oh. mineral. All the different, yeah. Oh, so sapphires, a little bit of iron here, but also you might get some manganese, give you different colors, the shades of pinks to blues to oranges for the, wow. the sapphires. Chromium gives you the red color. It's called ruby. Wow. Oh. So, you know, here's a... Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. And this is actually a stone we just got recently. This is a ruby from Burma, and it's a star oh, ruby. Oh, wow. Whoa, why does it do that? It's got its inclusions of another mineral, a mineral called rutile, or titanium oxide. Those little rutile crystals hmm. grew inside of the corundum crystal, hmm. and they're little needle-like crystals, and because of the symmetry of the corundum crystal, the rutile crystals are forced mm -hmm. to align up in three different directions following the symmetry. And if the stone's cut in the right orientation, then you end up with this star effect because so cool. it's the light reflecting off of each of the different sets of rutile. Interesting. In that is cool. Yeah. So that's one we're hoping to get on exhibit fairly soon, too. This is one of the world's better stars from Burma. It's a wow. Nice that's great. Okay, this is yeah. a tiara that was given to us by Marjorie Mayer with a post. Uh, in fact, this is Marjorie Mayer with a post here wearing an emerald necklace that she also gave to us inside an exhibit. Wow. Um, so this is one that she bought at auction in England, but probably was made, I think, in, in France, maybe in the middle 1800s or so. The diamonds are all set on these motifs that are on little springs. So oh. when you wear the tiara, they kind of bounce around and catch the light and shine and shimmer and wow. makes your tiara look all that more exciting. It does. So it's, you never know what's going to come in the door. Again, all these have been gifts that have come in, you know, I mean, Marge Mary were the post, and a lot of her things came in the 1960s, really is what kicked our collection into sort of a world-renowned mm -hmm. collection. I mean, the Hope Diamond started it off, but then she made some major gifts. In fact, one of the pieces she gave, um, it's on exhibit. It's a diamond necklace oh, that's wow. got over 260 carats of diamonds in it. It was a gift by Napoleon to the Empress Marie Louise to celebrate the birth of their son in 1811. Wow. And so it's really one of the most important diamond necklaces in the world. It's a beautiful piece. Um, it was when Napoleon went into exile, she took this back to her family, the Habsburg family in Austria, and it was passed down through her family, eventually purchased by Harry Winston, who sold it to Marjorie Mary with the Post. And in 1962, she gave it here to the Smithsonian. Wow. And when she gave it to us, she presented it to us in the original box. So this is the original box, the leather box, that held that necklace when Napoleon gave this to Marie Louise was to celebrate, again, the birth of their son, saying, you know, good job, got a son. But this is her coat of arms, her initials on here. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. That is beautiful. So, again, Can it's the history. The so, I know there's yeah. nothing in it, but so, I'm just curious. But you see the size oh, yeah, yeah. of the diamonds. These are oh, diamonds. Oh, yeah, 10, 11, 12 karat diamonds. Oh. Yeah. And when you think this necklace was put together before diamonds were found in South Africa. And so there weren't oh. that many big diamonds around. I mean, mm -hmm. only very wealthy, powerful people owned diamonds at that time. So where and were they mined then? They yeah. mined Brazil and India. And oh, mostly, wow. probably end of the India in early Brazil time was when these guys were coming out. And 
So it, it took a lot of you know, looking to get that many big diamonds to make a necklace like this at that time. It wasn't until wow. 1865 that diamonds started really coming out of South Africa in a big way. Hmm. So it makes it even more remarkable. I mean, we've done some studies of diamonds in there, and even by today's standards, many of these are considered to be like the top quality diamonds. Many of them are called type 2A diamonds, mm -hmm. and these are the diamonds that have virtually no nitrogen impurities in them. And so they're the mm -hmm. most pure diamonds that we know of, you know, being found anywhere. So with, clearly they were looking for the very best diamonds when they wanted to build that necklace for Napoleon. This is a necklace that has nine blue diamonds in it, and then it's a bunch of other white diamonds. It's a necklace that was created probably back in the early 1900s, and it was a gift to Anne Cullinan from her husband. Thomas Cullinan owned the Cullinan Mine which is the place where the largest diamond ever found came out of Africa. It's over 3,000 carats, fist-sized diamond. That's the one wow. that for political reasons ended up going to the King of England. Okay? It was cut and the largest stone is in the scepter of the British Crown Jewels. Oh. The sovereign scepter, a beautifully jeweled emblem of kingly power, largest of the four stars of Africa. Oh, so, okay. the, so the family wow. story is that Cullinan when he bought the mine, said to his wife, you know, I'm going to find you a big diamond. But, you know, the big diamond went to the King of England, so he had this necklace made for her as kind of a consolation prize, but with nine blue diamonds from his mine. And even today, that mine is still the most important source of blue diamonds in the world. And probably, almost more than any other gemstone, blue diamonds sell for more per carat at auction. You know, they, they've become so valuable. So, in a sense, you know, she still got a pretty good deal. Um, <laughs> so the, yeah. the the necklace was passed down then through the family. I think it was a great-granddaughter ultimately sold it. And it was a jeweler in California that bought it and then donated it here to the collection. Wow. So you can see, you know, the variety of things mm -hmm. that, that we do here and why I've been here for over 35 years. And, you know, I can't think of five minutes in that time where I was ever bored. So every day I come into work thinking, you know, something interesting is going to happen today. So many of the great gems and jewelry pieces mm -hmm. in the world are stuck away in safety deposit boxes and in vaults and whatever because people are afraid to wear them or because they're being held for investment or whatever it is. Once they're here, they now belong to all of us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's on exhibit can be seen by anybody any day of the, you know, free of charge. You know, anybody in the world can walk in and see it free of charge. Um, things back here, I mean through our website, and researchers can study them. I mean, nothing is lost now to, to the public. So, you know, it's, it's, so it's kind of, it's, again, it's a lot of fun when you, for the first time, you know, somebody hands you this, you know, this aquamarine, and you go, all right, forever. This is now, you know, now in the public arena. And this is wow. something that we all get to share now. Mm -hmm. Whereas for the last, you know, 100 years of this history, nobody's seen it. You know, it's, so, cool. So, okay, you were there for a while, like a couple hours oh, in total, wow, right? Yeah, about two hours. What was your favorite thing? Like, what's your favorite thing you saw? Or, or... I mean, everything was amazing, but I think my favorite thing from the gem vault was Jeff showed us this. It was a smoky quartz or a citrine. So it's um, it's like a, this very translucent mineral, light yellow color, mm. but it was the size of a newborn baby. What? Like, what? It, yes, it was cut from, it was this crystal that was found in Brazil and it weighed eight pounds. Oh. And it was huge 
That's amazing. If you, you cut and fasted in everything. baby was um, a gem. I know. That's. <laughs> oh, I'm sure all babies are gems in their parents' eyes. Oh, Aww. Look at that. how cute. <laughs> I would not mind a gem baby for sure. Oh, man. All right. Oh, that's all from Third Pod from the Sun. Thanks so much to Lauren for bringing us this story and to Jeff for sharing his work with us. Uh, the podcast was produced by Lauren and mixed by Kayla Surrey. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Please rate and review us. And you can find new episodes on your favorite podcasting app or on thirdpodfromthesun.com. Thanks all. And we'll see you next time. Bye.